Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. So we're continuing with uh, the story of Ruth, as we know, uh, Naomi um, is travelled back to uh, Bethlehem. Bethlehem was uh, scarce, uh, it was in famine, uh, and uh, Naomi um, set on the journey back to um, Bethlehem. And um, last week we found out that Ruth stayed, well, Ruth journeyed with her, her daughter-in-law, and um, came back to Bethlehem. And last week we found out that uh, they just happened to come to the field of Boaz, and so it was about, um, and all that God does when it just happens um, in, a, in our lives. So we're going to look at Ruth chapter 3. So we'll read the story first, so we get um, a, a picture of it. So one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Bo- Boaz, with whose woman you have worked, is a relative of ours, Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your maidservant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. In the book of Ruth, there's a real sense, isn't there, of the sovereignty of, of God. Um, as we've heard, you know, Ruth just happened to come to Boaz's field. And it kind of feels a little bit like, you know, if you were watching a film on, on TV, it's like, oh, yeah, this is that and that's that. And, and this, is, this is heading uh, in this certain direction. There's free will, but there is definitely the sovereignty of God in this, in this story. And it feels like the characters are, in a sense, playing out what God um, has, has planned 
And there's the details of a life and how they fit into the big picture of God's overall plan. And so we see the details of, of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz's life and see them how, as well, they fit into God's big plan. And that's because when we read this story, we feel the eternity in it. It's not just set in that context. There's, a, there's an eternity because um, of who God is when we, when we read this story. So we're reminded in the book of Ruth that it was set in Bethlehem. Sound familiar? <laughs> Where Jesus was born. Uh, and the, the book fits into the time of the book of Judges where we know there was judgment and there was blessing in the time of Judges. And as Phil mentioned earlier, that it points us forward to King David in the book of Samuel and the genealogy of Jesus. Um, and so we, we feel that sense that even though this is a story, this is a historical story, it's an eternal story as well. There's the sovereignty of God in, in this story. Um, they, they, they go to, um, it was meant to be a land of abundance, flowing with milk and honey, but it had become barren. And in Leviticus 26, 19 and 20, we see that that's what happens when the people of God turned away from God. The land suffered and there was famine in, in the land. And it can be a picture of our lives um, uh, as well, sort of having that ult- uncultivated in heart. But when we read this story, we're dealing with God who is outside of time. There's a sense, isn't there, in the book of Ruth of that, that God is outside of, of time. There's eternity here. And that's his natural habitat. That's God's natural habitat. Um, but we also get a picture of what it means to have an intimacy with the God who is outside of time. And on the one hand, it is set in a historical context, but on another, we see the bigger picture. We see the kinsman redeemer. We see the church in it, and we see the mission of the church all in this this story. And when we think about being close to God, which this story is a picture of, um, there's got to be a point where we are engaging with eternity outside of time. Um, there's a bigness about this. And, and that's what's so powerful about prayer. If we're going to spend time with God, who is he? Well, he's eternal. He's outside of time. So if we pray and we encounter him, how does that shift you and I in our thinking, in our perspective, and how we view the world and how we see things? Because God, God is eternal. And that's what's so powerful about us understanding our identity in Jesus and, and in Christ. You can't spend time with God and not grow in understanding 
eternity. So we have the privilege of, of praying, um, of, of being in the presence of Jesus. Remember, we talked a couple of weeks about, about the wise virgins waiting for the king. There's a future orientation waiting for the inheritance of the bride. And because we, we pray and we come to Jesus, who is eternal, we spend time with him. Our perspective shifts, and we have an eternity in our, in our hearts. In 1 Peter 1, Peter uses the phrase that we have been born again to a, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So, just to look at Jesus, we see eternity simply because he's alive. He is a living hope. So, when we spend time with him in prayer, we have hope. <laughs> When you and I, we're with him. We are filled with hope because he is eternal. We're in a relationship with him. And so our perspective shifts. Having that intimacy uh, with him. When we look into the face of Jesus Christ, there's intimacy with him because we look into the eyes of eternal hope. And we see that in 1 John, don't we? That those who have their hope fixed on him purifies themselves because they're they're looking, they're looking at him. Peter uses that phrase, living hope. Jesus is the resurrection. And that means that he has defeated death. Death has died. And we are, we have eternal life through him. And it says in Ephesians, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, that sense of being outside of time with with our God, that sense of having that eternal hope. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so we have in this book of Ruth, this picture, the small and the big, uh, and that privilege that we have of coming to Jesus, who is the resurrection. We come in prayer to be with, to be with him. Um, So the chapter starts, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, my daughter. Um, What we're hearing from from this chapter is the strength of Naomi and Ruth's um, relationship, continued relationship. How lovely that Naomi has come to the place where she feels a sense of empowerment and confidence. How lovely in this in this story. Remember from chapter one, she said, the Lord's hand has turned against me, uh, urging Ruth and Moab to, to leave her. 
from that negative perspective was powerlessness. So she wasn't feeling in a place of confidence. She was feeling discouraged and as if there wasn't a lot she could do. But she did what she could when she was feeling that in, in, that, in that place. We find her in chapter 3 with a new hope, a developing hope of her future. Again, when we be with Jesus, we have hope for the future. We have an eternal hope. She's, she's, she's starting to, to have a different perspective. There's a change in her heart and a thinking around how God sees her and what he wants to do in her life now. She has some confidence and she is about to ask for her covenant benefits, which she couldn't do before. But she, took, she did the step of obedience that she could and now she's here where she is. And the grace of, of God frees us from sin, but also from pessimism, from negativeness and from discouragement. When you start to trust God, your future hope naturally comes into focus because of who God is and because of what he has done. Even in the most challenging of circumstances that Ruth has faced, um, she has found a gratefulness of heart and joy in an inspiration in that, in that journey. And it points us really to the heart of the gospel. Um, in Luke 7:36, we have that story of where Jesus says to the woman who comes and wipes his feet, your, your sins have been forgiven much because you have loved much. And there is forgiveness in the gospel. There's the power of forgiveness in our lives. And Naomi has been understanding and learning that God loves her and God has forgiven her. And she's becoming into a, a new place. And you and I stand in forgiveness, which is the power of the gospel, where Jesus rewrites our history and he rewrites our, our past because of the gospel. Remember it says that your sins I will remember no more. As far as the east is from the west, they will be, they'll be cast from you. I will not remember your sins anymore. That's how Jesus wants to rewrite your life and to rewrite my life in the power of the gospel and in the power of his forgiveness. He brings you freedom. And Naomi has been through that process. She's now in a place of confidence um, and hope through that, through that journey. And um, when, we, when we connect with our kinsman redeemer, our lives change and start to express what he has, what he has purchased for us. Naomi knew um, that, that she had a right to ask for uh, an inheritance in, in this culture. We can have confidence to ask 
Jesus because of the cross and because of what he has done um, for us. And we see her covenant relationship with Ruth. We see her coming back to the place of covenant. um, And it's brought her to a place of understanding her responsibility. So she's taken the steps that she could of obedience, but she couldn't do a lot about it. But as she's continued in the covenant, she now has realized, now I can take responsibility And God works in our lives like that, doesn't he? We have a covenant with Jesus. Uh, We're his son, we're his daughter. And as we come into that covenant, we have confidence to come to him to ask for the benefits of what he has given to us and what he has provided for us. And so she's come to this place of responsibility, of being feeling that she can ask. Um, She's no longer um, discouraged. Um, And she knows that she has a right now to come and ask for an inheritance um, uh, from a kinsman redeemer uh, in in that culture. She feels strong enough to ask for for the benefits. And intimacy with our relationship with God moves us on in our obedience from a place of rest. Um, She had... She had changed in the same area. She was discouraged about that. She, she couldn't do anything about it. Now she can do something about it. She feels that she can do something about it. The same issue. And God, in our journey with him, changes us. So that the things that we feel hopeless about or we feel discouraged about, he changes us so that we know we can. We can come to him. We can ask him in that same place, over that same issue. God wants to do that in your life and in, in my life. Uh, it could be a long-term issue that every time you've thought about it, uh, you've sort, thought about it a certain way because your mind and your emotions have processed it that way or been trained that way. Maybe it's been a loss of hope for the future. But God wants to show you that as you walk with him and learn from him, and as you understand who he is, he moves you on in those places because you are changed and you see them differently. And um, part of that process is the gospel, isn't it? And knowing the gospel, knowing the forgiveness of God, knowing who he is, and also knowing that we are dead to sin and alive to God. And God is rewriting your history and rewriting my history. Um, that's the, the freedom that he gives us. There's a, um, well, I recently found some cards in the garage from the time when um, Darren was ill and we'd left our previous church. And I had a very negative view of that whole time of rejection. Um, But I found all of these letters in the garage recently and started to read them all. And my view was different to those letters. Um, They expressed all the love um, that people had um, for us. They expressed how people were praying for us. 
And I had to, oh, actually this work that God wants to do still in me, this work that God wants to do still in, in you and in our identity. And that changed my perspective of, of, of that, of understanding the love of God from a past situation that God was rewriting still things in my thinking and in my journey. And God is always doing that with us. He's always changing us. He's always showing us those things. Oh, no, that's not how it is. This is how it is. And it's, um, he, he works in our lives. So we see Naomi journeying through her obedience, taking it in stages. Um, and um, she, she, she surrendered. She went back to, to Bethlehem. She turned back uh, to God. Um, and we see that keeping in step with, obe- with our obedience, um, God, we're his kids. We can be underconfident. When we have kids, we have underconfident kids and overconfident kids. God has underconfident kids and overconfident kids. He knows us, he loves us, and he gives us steps of obedience that, for, for you and for me, tailored very often for us to, to take. And we see that in, in Naomi's life, um, her responding to him. So Naomi picks her timing, which is harvest. Uh, she knows where Boaz will be uh, in sh- because she'll have access uh, to, to Boaz. He will be in the harvest. And again, that is an in- that's a picture of us and the church, isn't it? Um, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I am with you to the very end of the age. It's a picture of Jesus uh, in the harvest, uh, as as well of of the church. We find Jesus in, in the harvest. And so Naomi sends Ruth to meet Boaz in a place of blessing, uh, in a place that is a reward for hard work, a place of receiving the fruit of blessing. Ruth goes to ask for the family inheritance. One might think that, um, you know, maybe Naomi is setting Ruth up to be a bit of a man trap in this whole um, thing, you know, you go and get Boaz. Uh, but it's not like that, okay? <laughs> In that culture, it was different. So Naomi um, plotted. Uh, she, 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 she wasn't doing that. In, in that culture, um, they had something called a kinsman redeemer. Uh, and the Hebrew word is goal. Uh, that, that's the, the Hebrew word for, for it. And um, the kinsman redeemer was um, a expected in that culture you had kinsmen redeemers and in in Leviticus we hear what they were responsible for so the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite back from slavery the kinsman redeemer was responsible for justice in the family for avenging um, if someone was murdered he was responsible for uh, justice and bringing the person to justice, the avenger of blood. Uh, he was responsible to buy back 
the inheritance of the land that had been forfeited. Um, And he was responsible for carrying on the family name by marrying a childless widow. So that was the, the kinsman redeemer. That was his responsibility. And so um, we see this picture in Ruth where we see um, Ruth going to ask for what for her rights. So she is operating the right of the kinsman redeemer by approaching Boaz in that, in that culture. And of course, we see a picture in that, don't we, of, of Jesus. Um, and we have a kinsman redeemer who has fulfilled his obligation um, because it's, they, they, had, they, they kind of had to raise up that obligation in that culture. Jesus has fulfilled his obligation as the kinsman redeemer to you and I as, as the church. When he, he died on the cross, he said, as Mike mentioned last week, Tesselestai, it is finished, paid in full. Um, he has bought us back. He is our kinsman redeemer. We have access to the inheritance that he has given to us as his sons and his, his daughters. Um, and um, we, we are his. So um, when I was preparing this, I felt like um, God was asking us to keep pushing the door. For, for Ruth, she kept pushing, didn't she? She kept pushing the door. She kept pushing it, it open. And the door kept opening. We know we have access to Jesus. We've got access to our kinsman, Redeemer. And it says, knock, and the door will be open to you. Ask, seek, knock. In Matthew 7, 7. And there's a sense in this chapter where the church is called to that place of prayer in the, with the kinsman, Redeemer. There's a sense where it's time for us to come to him. Because, you know, lots of stuff's happening around us. Um, you know, we've got the internet, haven't we? You've got, you know, all kinds of stuff you can look to on the internet. But this is the place that the church is called to come to. Uh, to come to Jesus, to, to come and be with him in prayer because he is the source. It's recognizing that he is the source of the benefits of our covenant. And we, we've got our night of prayer as, as a church that we have. And one of the, the, the kind of reasons that we've put that on is because it's about us coming to the kinsman redeemer. Uh, it's about coming to the feet of Jesus to hear what he wants to, to say and what, and what he wants to, to do. And so it's ask, seek, and knock. Um, 
asking for the benefits that are ours as his, as his church. It's also um, a love story, isn't it? Ruth must have had confidence to, to do what she did. Um, she'd seen the way that Boaz had warmed to her, made provision for her, and in effect, she is kind of proposing to, to him. She just needs it. She's just not got the ring. So, <laughs> in, in effect, that is, that is what she's doing. But um, the, we, we mentioned earlier, what does it mean to uncover, uncover the feet? So, Naomi instructs Ruth to go in and uncover Boaz's feet and to lie down. Uh, and in that culture, uh, the servants would do that, um, and they would uncover the feet of the person who was in charge, and it would be um, an act of of saying, "I am in total submission to to you." Uh, in that culture, uh, and and that's what it mean, it, it would mean to lay at the master's feet and to be ready for any command of the master. So when Naomi told Ruth uh, to lie down at Boaz's feet, she told her to come in a humble and a submissive way. Ruth came to claim a right that was theirs, um, but she didn't come like in a demanding or in a victim-orientated way uh, to, to Boaz. Uh, she came with a humility. She had the right to expect the kinsman redeemer to raise up the family um, inheritance. But she came with a posture of humble obedience to the feet uh, of, of Boaz. And it's a picture, isn't it, for us of the church and our posture in responding to Jesus it's a powerful moment of exchange such that we can have as the church with Jesus in prayer where we come to the feet of Jesus in total submission. We lay down our lives and we come to our kinsman redeemer um, and we listen and we take the steps of obedience that he wants to, he wants to uh, show show to us and the feet thing carries on because in the next chapter you know it's about the sandal isn't it at the gate they take off the sandal um to say whether they're going to to do this or not it's also a picture of jesus the servant king uh washing the the disciples feet and we're called to wash one another's feet in Hosea, it says, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. And so this process of prayer and revival down through church history, is when the church has recognized where it needs to come to, to the source, to the kinsman redeemer, to the heart of the gospel, to the resources that Jesus has. And then we see breakthrough. So that heart preparation, that unplowed ground, you know, if we look back in our lives and say, well, I was more fruitful then than I am now, perhaps we have what's called unplowed ground 
or fallow ground that needs cultivating. And there's our part in that, and there's God's part in that. And that intimacy with Jesus involves the right kind of authority that is demonstrated by the kinsman redeemer. Um, It's recognizing that we have freedom and that we have an inheritance. Mike mentioned last week about Philippians 2, how Jesus used his position and his authority to travel downwards to us. And that's reflected in Boaz's response to Ruth. Boaz does not withhold. He doesn't try to control Ruth. Uh, He probably liked Ruth, but uh, was considerably older than her. Um, And there's a a free will uh, in, in this. He's willing to sacrificially give with the authority that he possessed. And so there's an issue about authority in this story. Thanks. There's an issue about authority in this story. Jesus and godly authority is always releasing and brings freedom to us. I always kind of ask, what what does God want to say when preparing um, a, a message? And I look for what is happening around myself at the moment. And this week... Um, I had a couple of conversations with people, and these are not people that are at King's Church, so so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, but I became aware, having these conversations with them, that actually they live under the wrong kind of authority, and their understanding of authority is is off. And I became aware that it actually veers towards um, the authority of the evil one and of the enemy because if you have a wrong view of authority or if you've had things happen in your life that has led you to believe a wrong kind of authority, you can end up in a situation where of control and manipulation in your perspective. And that's when the evil one the power and the authority of the evil one holds people in their perspective and brings deception and deceives and deceives people. And you may have experienced things in your life that have given you that kind of perspective. Jesus' authority is completely different to that the authority of Jesus is releasing and he releases potential he loves you he cares for you and he has a different kind of authority and we see that in this story the authority of the kinsman redeemer and I just want to close I've, I'll have to cut this short um, There was a lot more that I wanted to say, but ran out of time this morning. So you'd be pleased to know. (laughs) Um, I'm going to stop there. Um, I just want to pause here at this this point. Um, That you may recognize in your own life signs of the enemy's activity. 
Jesus heals and sets you free from that wrong view of authority in your life. Um, He brings the truth because alongside that kind of control and manipulation is a, a deception of the truth of what's happened to you and what real authority is. And it's a lie. And it's a, it, it can be a, a foothold of the enemy. And Jesus sets us free from the, that kind of authority. His authority is one of freedom. He sets us free and he brings release in our lives. And I- we hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.